This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by W.S. Merwin. William Stanley Merwin was born in New York City in 1927. His father was a Presbyterian minister, and Merwin's earliest writings were hymns composed for his father. When studying at Princeton, Merwin devoted himself to writing poetry and studied with R.P. Blackmore and John Berryman. After graduating in 1948, he traveled around Europe, translating poetry and working as a tutor, including for the son of poet Robert Graves. It was during this time that Merwin published his first volume of poetry, A Mask for Janus, which was selected by W. H. Auden for the Yale Younger Poets Prize. The collection reflects the influence of Graves and of the medieval poetry Merwin had been translating. Merwin spent the early 50s in Europe, where he befriended Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath. But in 1956, when offered a fellowship at Harvard, Merwin separated from his first wife, moved back to America, and began to spend time with Robert Lowell. The Drunk in the Furnace, which was written during Merwin's time in Boston, marks a period in which Merwin began to shed his more formal models and write more autobiographically. Merwin's next books, The Lice and The Carrier of Ladders, are his most well-known and well-received. The Lice is often read as a response to the Vietnam War. When The Carrier of Ladders won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1971, Merwin famously donated the prize money to the draft resistance movement. Many years later, when asked about the social role of the poet, Merwin commented, I think there's a kind of desperate hope built into poetry now that one really wants, hopelessly, to save the world. In 1976, Merwin moved to Hawaii to study Zen Buddhism. He eventually remarried and settled in Maui on a former pineapple plantation. In the decades since, he has painstakingly restored the land to rainforest. Both the rigor of Buddhism and the lushness of the tropical landscape have influenced Merwin's later style. The poetry is imagistic, dreamlike, and full of praise for the natural world. Merwin is also an accomplished and prolific translator of poetry from over a dozen languages. Over his long career, Merwin has received many awards and prizes, most recently a Pulitzer Prize in 2009 for his book, The Shadow of Sirius. Reviewing The Shadow of Sirius, Jason Bradle wrote, While deceptively simple, the poems effortlessly pursue themes lying at the core of human experience, childhood, impermanence, mortality, and memory. The poems you are about to hear were recorded at the Library of Congress in 1999. The... Vixen is not named for an embittered feeling about an old love affair. The vixen is, was a vixen, female fox. And if you want to symbolize her, you can do that if you like. But uh, you have to take her as a fox before you take her as a symbol. She didn't care about being taken as a symbol. Vixen. Comet of stillness, princess of what is over, High note held without trembling, without voice, without sound. Aura of complete darkness, keeper of the kept secrets, of the destroyed stories, the escaped dreams, the sentences never caught in words, warden of where the river went, touch of its surface, 
Sybil of the extinguished window onto the hidden place and the other time. At the foot of the wall by the road, patient without waiting, in the full moonlight of autumn at the hour when I was born, you no longer go out like a flame at the sight of me. You are still warmer than the moonlight gleaming on you. Even now you are unharmed, even now perfect, as you have always been. Now when your light paws are running on the breathless night, on the bridge with one end, I remember you. When I have heard you, the soles of my feet have made answer. When I have seen you, I have waked and slipped from the calendars, from the creeds of difference and the contradictions that were my life, and all the crumbling fabrications as long as it lasted, until something that we were had ended. When you are no longer anything, let me catch sight of you again going over the wall. And before the garden is extinct and the woods are figures guttering on a screen, let my words find their own places in the silence after the animals. Memorandum. Save these words for a while because of something they remind you of, although you cannot remember what that is, a sense that is part dust and part the light of morning. You were about to say a name, and it is not there. I forget them too. I am learning to pray to Perdita, to whom I said nothing at the time, and now she cannot hear me as far as I know, but the day goes on looking. The names often change more slowly than the meanings. Whole families grow up in them and then are gone into the anonymous sky. O oh, Perdita, does the hope go on after the names are forgotten? And is the pain of the past done when the calling has stopped and those betrayals so long repeated that they are taken for granted as the shepherd does with the sheep? One of the things that, as Empson told us all generation and a half or so ago, was that English thrives on ambiguity and, on, and makes ambiguity the way Ferns make spores, I mean, all over the place. A title such as In Time is full of ambiguities. In Time. The night the world was going to end, when we heard those explosions not far away and the loudspeakers telling us about the vast fires on the backwater consuming undisclosed remnants and warning us over and over to stay indoors and make no signals, you stood at the open window, the light of one candle back in the room. We put on high boots to be ready for wherever we might have to go. And we got out the oysters and sat at the small table, feeding them to each other, first with the fork, then from our mouths to each other, until there were none. And we stood up and started to dance without music. Slowly we danced around and around in circles, and after a while we hummed when the world was about to end, all those years, all those nights ago. The Night Singing Long after Ovid's story of Philomela has gone out of fashion, and after the testimonials of Hafiz and Keats have been smothered in comment and droned dead in schools, 
And after Eliot has gone home from the sacred heart and Ransom has spat and consigned to human youth what he reduced to fairy numbers, after the name has become slightly embarrassing and dried skins have yielded their details and tapes have been slowed and analyzed and there is nothing at all for me to say, one nightingale is singing nearby in the oaks where I can see nothing but darkness and can only listen and ride out on the long note's invisible beam that wells up and bursts from its unknown star on, 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 never returning, never the same, never caught, while through the small leaves of May the starlight glitters from its own journeys. Once, In the ancestry of this song, my mother visited here. Lightning struck the locomotive in the mountains. It had never happened before. And there were so many things to tell that she had just seen and would never have imagined. Now a field away, I hear another voice beginning. And on the slope, there is a third, not echoing, but varying. After the lives, after the goodbyes, after the faces and the light, After the recognitions and the touching and tears, those voices go on rising. If I knew I would hear in the last dark that singing, I know how I would listen. That was W.S. Merwin, recorded at the Library of Congress in 1999 and used by permission of the Wiley Agency. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about W.S. Merwin and other essential American poets, and to hear more poetry, go to PoetryFoundation.org.